Let's wind back to 1983. Mario Brothers was released on Nintendo and the first mobile phone was sold by Motorola. At the same time, Scott Cook was watching his wife trying to balance the books at home in California just using paper. Remember, everyone in America has to file tax returns. Scott decided to do something about it, creating a software called Quicken, which made his wife's job much easier. In 1992, QuickBooks was born, and the company behind it, which Scott founded, was called Intuit. Wind forward to today, Scott is a billionaire, and QuickBooks is the biggest financial management software in the world. The reason that they're number one is they make it really easy for companies to take care of their finances, from sole traders to enterprise and growth-minded businesses in between. So, If you want better control and visibility of your company's finances, from invoicing to forecasting, then head to quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. That's quickbooks.co.uk forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. It was complete chaos. The phones were ringing off the hook, customers panicking. We had customers at the airport stranded. We had customers out in destination who were stranded. I mean, some customers didn't even want to come home. They didn't quite realise the severity of what was happening. You know, they're having a blissful time in their kind of eco lodge in Sri Lanka and just didn't want to come back. That's Radha Vyas, the co-founder of Flashpack an adventure holiday company which she set up with her husband Lee talking about what happened when the pandemic first hit. From Secret Leaders, I'm Dan Murray-Serta and this is our bite-sized series dedicated to failure. We're doing this because we learn a lot more from failure than success, but we hardly ever hear about it. We're changing that with the help of entrepreneurs like Rada sharing their worst moments. Rada came up with the idea for Flashback, which caters for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s after years of trying but failing to become an entrepreneur. I was in my 30s and I, I was starting to feel a bit despondent, you know, a bit depressed that I wasn't going to realise my, my dream of setting up a business. And I just needed a holiday. Like everybody, when you're feeling a bit down in the dumps, the first thing you want to do is escape to a sunny destination on a beach, right? So I called a few of my friends and... Uh, tried to rally somebody up to come with me and everyone was super busy. A lot of my friends in their 30s were having babies and were kind of busy with their careers. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you try a group tour? And it was that moment when I thought, what? Kind of registered, wasn't even on my radar. You know, I didn't know what it was. Kind of conjured up these images of like retirees in matching caps, you know, just not something that would appeal to me. But the concept really intrigued me. So I started looking into the industry and realized there was this huge gap for an aspirational travel brand that appealed to people in their kind of 30s and 40s who had a bit of money to spend, who didn't want to do the whole backpacking thing, you know, staying in hostels, but did want an adventurous trip, wanted, you know, to kind of do adventurous things, but stay in a boutique hotel at the end. I started the company officially in 2014 and it was a bit of a side hustle for two years. I was running another business at the time, like a fundraising business. And so I was kind of using, uh, my husband and I were like using our kind of incomes from our other businesses to fund Flashpack. And we didn't quite realize how well it was going until 2016. We realized we just needed to go into it full time. You know, it was never going to grow unless we, we, we properly invested our time in it. So we raised £250,000 investment. In 2016, we were the first employees on the payroll 
And from there, we essentially grew to 20 million. So we hit 20 million revenue in 2019. Um, and we had just over 60 staff, 50, well, about 55, 60 staff. And it was going absolute gangbusters. We were being solicited from VCs on both sides of the Atlantic, from UK, US. We could get in a room with any VC we wanted with a partner. We were talking to Index, Excel, Silicon Valley VCs were telling us they wanted to fly over to meet us, to be a part of the deal. And um, it was just, you know, we were flying high. It was, ama- it was an amazing, amazing feeling. Of course, there were lots of ups and downs, uh, you know, throughout those kind of four years that we were building the business. But generally, we were we were very successful. Rada had achieved her dream. The business was doing well, but then COVID hit. The timing was absolutely brutal because we started we started fundraising in officially in kind of Jan 2020. We're out there having all these meetings and we started to see our metrics for the first time in our history, our metrics started to decline, right? Our growth started flatlining and we didn't know what it was. And COVID was just coming into the news. You may remember, like, there were stories coming out. But I think we all thought this is a, you know, this is a China thing. You know, it's going to stay there. It's like SARS. It's not going to come here. And we started seeing a hesitation in booking. In February, we started cancelling all our trips to China and Japan and starting to refund customers. And in February, we saw a, a severe decline in our revenue. So Sri Lanka was tanking, Vietnam, Cambodia, all our best selling destinations were, were, you know, weren't kind of getting the bookings that we were used to. That's when we realized we had a big issue. But at this point, we were kind of full throttle into fundraising. We'd already completed all our teaser meetings. We had, um, we had, um, offers from four different VCs. You know, it was, it was absolutely crazy. So we just decided to keep on going and try to get the fundraise done. And as we were going into DD on March the 13th, it was Friday, the March 13th. I'm not superstitious, but, you know, <laughs> you can't ignore a date like that. Um, Trump decided to close the borders. And as you'll remember, the entire world followed suit. And so we had to repatriate hundreds of customers in tandem. Thousands of customers were calling, asking for refunds, panicking. And we were in the middle of this fundraise, right? Uh, We had to, in tandem, we're trying to deal with, you know, the operational chaos that ensued after the borders closing. We were still trying to keep VCs really warm. So it was it was absolutely horrendous. I mean, I don't think I slept for about two weeks. Uh, we had to send our toddler to stay with my sister for two weeks because we just couldn't cope. You know, nurseries closed down. We we dealt with we dealt with all the customers that needed to be repatriated first, um, and we continued having conversations with VCs in tandem. Then I started to pursue a strategic sale, like a fireside sale, because I I understood that it was highly unlikely that we were going to get VC investment at this stage. Everyone was trying to manage their losses, right? VCs were panicking. Nobody knew. Even the businesses that were booming at this time didn't know what the effect of COVID would be on their business. Everybody was panicking. There was definitely no money going going anywhere, let alone into travel. So I started to pursue a fireside uh, sale. Unbeknown to me at the time, all our competitors were also, you know, on fire and managing their own losses. So we did, we, Lee and I conducted about 62 different management meetings with VCs and, and strategics at this point, and nothing 
came to fruition. At this point, our entire staff, bar 15 people, were on furlough. I'm actually really proud of that. We didn't, we didn't panic, you know, we didn't panic initially. And even though we were, revenue dried up 95%, 99% overnight, we didn't panic and make everyone redundant. Luckily, the furlough scheme came out. We furloughed all of our staff and um, we continued to try and save the business. It got to a, October, September, October, and we're having the very, very last conversation. So every single door had closed at this point, you know, we'd received over kind of 70 no's. And we were starting to face facts that we had to call this a day. We, we were, you know, we'd failed. We weren't going to be able to save the business. So we called, we called around, found some insolvency practitioners to support us through the process. And we just, we decided that was it. You know, we had to, for the sake of all of our stakeholders, we had to make the decision to put the business into, into administration. Closing down a business is a really tough decision to make, and it can take so much out of you. I think we've been trying for so long. We worked tirelessly, you know, day in, day out for months, just continuously doing meetings, presentations. Every time our hopes would get up, you know, thinking, yeah, somebody's going to put some money in, we're going to be saved. And then our hopes would be dashed. It was just up and down continuously for six months. So I think I was really numb the day we put the business into administration. I'd cried so much. I spent six months just crying, you know, every evening, drinking, um, drinking myself to sleep, just eating too much. It was, it was, it was just an absolute blur. We were scared for our own jobs. We didn't even know if we would go, be able to go out there and get a job. You know, the entire industry had been completely decimated. We were having talks about moving back with my parents because we didn't have any savings. We had been on founders' salaries for years, you know, and we were typical kind of, we were those typical founders that only ever looked at the upside. We never protected our downside. And so it was really scary. Uh, my, my employees were scared for their jobs. We were also scared for our jobs, right? And um, for our livelihoods. But then as part of the process, the administrators said we could bid on the assets. And suddenly there was this hope that we could potentially get our business back again. You know, we'd built something amazing once. We knew it would be amazing again, but we just didn't know when COVID would be over. But we decided that we were on the brink of kind of personal ruin anyway. So let's just, there's one last throw of the dice. Let's go for it. We scrambled around. We had a bit of equity in our property. We remortgaged our house. We borrowed money from friends and family. And, um, you know, we felt we just tried to get as much as we could. So we put the bid in and there was a kind of a terrifying wait of a few weeks um while they kind of market your business and then we got a call from the administrator saying we were the highest bidders and i just can't tell you how that felt um i cried some more and we went out we just drank champagne <laughs> with our last kind of 200 pounds in our bank um we it was incredible feeling to get our baby back but given what had happened before rada was worried about how staff and suppliers would react to their comeback we were scared, you know, it was terrifying. We didn't know if, if we'd be welcomed back by open arms, by our community, if customers would be angry, if suppliers would be angry. When COVID first hit, we got absolutely battered by our community of customers because we weren't giving refunds. We couldn't give refunds, right? And they had come to expect like a level of customer service and 
didn't under didn't quite understand what we were going through right so we got absolutely battered so if you look at trust pilot you know you'll see <laughs> our customers um, become very emotionally attached to our brand so when we get it right they write incredible reviews but when we get it wrong they will very publicly berate us and that was really hard um obviously our employees found it hard when we were going through the process right but now on the other side of it uh everyone because we treated everyone so well and we ensured that nobody lost out right nobody lost out we now we have a really great reputation and um, now there's no bad feeling but definitely when we were going through it and trying to save the business yeah everybody was panicking everybody was out it was kind of self-survival mode right everybody was in kind of um, protectionist kind of mode and um, yeah that was that was very hard but our community welcomed us back We've got an incredible repeat booking rate. 98% of our suppliers are still working with us and we've made good any of the debt that we owed our stakeholders by giving them more business. And they're still with us. You know, we hired back some of our old team, which felt fantastic. And um, we're through the other side now. And if we weren't so transparent about what happened, you would never know. Being open about failure is difficult. It's why we're doing this series. I know what it's like to have a business go under and it can be hard to not feel embarrassed or guilty for what has happened. A lot of people led me to believe that I should feel ashamed for the failure of the business, right? And I completely refuse to feel shame. Of course, I felt feelings of shame. I felt feelings of guilt. Of course, I'm not saying I didn't feel those things, but I refuse to allow them to define me, to hold me back, to strangle me. Um, you know, there's absolutely no way that I would have been able to save this business if I allowed those feelings to kind of engulf me, right? And I, and I, I refuse, I just refuse them. I absolutely squash if those feelings try to surface or somebody tries to surface those feelings in me, I just squash them, right? Because it's just a useless, absolutely useless emotion and failures, failure has made me a much stronger and much more fearless leader right and that's how i'm able to overcome any kind of negative feelings that could be detrimental to my to my psyche we talk about our failure publicly and when we onboard our staff it's part of the onboarding process right it's important like we lovingly call a uh, flash pack 1.0 you know, we lovingly talk about it. And we um, now the new business is called Flashback 2.0. And we own this because I want my staff to know that they failure is not a bad thing, right? And I want them to own their failures and talk about them and learn from them as well. I want to create a culture of psychological safety where everyone understands that failure is a part of life and you're not going to be berated and ashamed um, or shamed for it, right? You don't need to be ashamed by it just own it and learn from it and teach others. And that's why we talk about it so publicly. I think the one thing that really helped me was that I treated all of our stakeholders, so suppliers, staff, customers, who could have been very, very badly affected by our failure. I treated them all with a lot of respect and communicated very well with them. So I felt like I had a right to hold my head up high you know, and that's, that's the advice I would give anybody who's going through a failure is just don't hide. Don't, do not hide from it. Own it and make sure all your, or anyone affected by your failure is 
um, knows what's happening. It's not a shock. You're, you're treating with treating them with respect, and then you those feelings of guilt will will pass much more easily. Rada Vias, co-founder and still CEO of Flashpack. If you want to be like Rada and own your failure story, we want to hear it. Email us at hello at secretleaders.com with a few bullets explaining what happened. I've been your host, Dan Murray-Serta, and this is our bite-sized series on failure. For more stories of failure, setbacks, and how they impact success, follow Secret Leaders on your podcast app. See you next time. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips, and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app.